A Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the, the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 75 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster recording from the Say the Damn Score studio in my spare bedroom in Burnsville, Minnesota. This podcast, as always, is dedicated to the sportscasting industry and dedicated to sharing the stories of sportscasting professionals from all levels all around the country. Today, I'm fortunate enough to be joined by Paul Allen, the voice of the Minnesota Vikings, the host of the 9 to Noon show on KFAN, as well as the voice of horse racing at Canterbury Park here in the Twin Cities. Paul Allen, welcome to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Hey, what's going on, man? A couple of things. Uh, one, when it comes to Say the Damn Score, um, you know, I, I actually am, a, am obsessive with how much I give the uh, score during radio calls and sometimes when i hear them back i'm like damn man i'm giving that thing too much uh, let's start off with your big call that you had with the minneapolis miracle um at the in the nfc playoffs listening back to that and hearing it go viral i loved it personally but it kind of was people loved it or hate it what were your thoughts looking back and listening to the tape Oh, I felt good about it. I mean, it. Um, I mean, you don't really uh, plan for situations like that, you know. Specifically, the way the uh, safety, the rookie safety for the Saints played it. Uh, but um, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've listened back to it isolated with just my audio, uh, just the audio of the analyst, and uh, then when you put it together, and um, yeah, I was um, at the end of the equation, I was quite happy with it. When you have a situation like that where you're working with an analyst and. If there's ever a moment for it, again, in my opinion, to just go completely bananas, it's for a play like that. But your analyst went completely bananas while you were still talking. If you could go back, would you give him a little bit more direction to do that? Or did you like what his excitement added to it? No, I loved it. You know, and and Pete is generally a pretty even-keeled individual. Um, and, and he's very, he's very calculated with, uh, things he says. And, you know, he, uh, he, he doesn't come clomping in very frequently, but that was a situation where, I mean, it, it's something, honestly, we, we had never seen, you know, specifically the way, the way it developed. I mean, you know, and it's not only that play, but it, but honestly, it, it's the balance of the game. I mean, at halftime, it looked like the Vikings were absolute cinches to win the game. You know, and then in the second half, it was just getting Drew Brees under control was really difficult. And, you know, when, when we were losing and, and we started that drive, you know, I, I, I kind of I, I think I said, you know, Pete, I think we're going to need a Minneapolis miracle to win this game. So I, I had said it at that point and, and I remembered it, you know, during the call. But no, in, in redoing it, no, I the, the unbridled enthusiasm the analyst showed was, was absolutely fantastic. It typified the moment. Uh, we we are announcers, specifically me, that I think really capture the positive and negative feelings of Vikings fans, uh, no no matter what's transpiring. And you know, I'm um, I think Pete uh, definitely felt the way a lot of people felt. You have one of the more fascinating 
paths to how you got to where you did as the voice of the Minnesota Vikings, as I've, as I've seen talking to people in 70 plus episodes of this show. And the Vikings job was your first play by play position, but to say that you didn't pay dues would be a very deceiving statement because you were for years and years traveling all around the country and the world calling horse races. What got you into horse racing? Did you grow up around horses? Well, the, I mean, it's it's a multifaceted story. You know, I think uh, at the beginning of it, it I, I, I'd be remiss to not say I didn't go to college. You know, so to to have a job like this, really, or have the radio job at KFAN, you know, and, and to have not gone to college, I, I think that's rare in its own right. Um, but um, when, you know, I'm 52 years old, and, and when I lived at Private Hill Apartments in Oxon Hill, Maryland, I'd say ages 10, 11, 12, and 13, the, the apartment complex overlooked a racetrack called Rosecroft Raceway. So, you know, I would go to bed every night hearing the announcer when, when my window was open, hearing the announcer at the racetrack. And when, when I would go out on the balcony, I'd be able to see the racetrack and the trotters run around the track. And I was very fascinated by that. So my mom would take me frequently. And um, then when, um, uh, when I moved to California, my mom remarried and, and we moved to California. I, I really got into horse racing there at Santa Anita in Arcadia, which was about 15 minutes to the west of, uh, of where I lived and, and went to high school. So I was really into it and very fascinated by the competition of it and the crescendo building of the announcers. And, you know, then uh, then in uh, in 92, I started, you know, on my own time, putting uh, race calls into tapes at Santa Anita, Hollywood Park and Del Mar Racecourse. And so when uh, when a job opened in San Francisco, I had a tape and I went up there and and persevered and, and kept tapping on the uh, president of the racetrack to give me a chance. And he did. And uh, then I won the job. When you're calling a race, uh, one of the first things I did once we moved to Burnsville, we had uh, a free Thursday night and we went to the Buck Night at Canterbury. And I was fascinated by the way that uh, how fast the call was, but how little slippage or hesitation you had when you were calling the races. What type of preparation are you doing to make sure that you can, you know, see what color skirts and what number each horse is and what jockeys on it and things like that? Yeah, you know, I, I don't prep for each race the way I did, say, 15, 20, you know, maybe 15 or 20 years ago. I, I've done it for more than a quarter century. So, you know, I've probably called 30,000 races. Um, you know, when they uh, over the years, I, I, I've developed a photographic memory. And when, uh, when I see the, the silks in the early stages of the race, they, they stick with me. You know, I call the races through binoculars. I have the program off to the left. And um, just through experience of, of a quarter century of doing it, I'm able to mesh the silks, the, uh, the colors of the helmets, and the program. And, you know, the way racetrack announcing ties into football play-by-play is, is football plays are shorter versions of races. You know, you start a play with Cousins taking the snap and then da-da-da, 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 and you build the crescendo. That, that's pretty much what a, what a race call is, is they leave the gate and then they get to the far turn, top of the stretch, final furlong, down to the wire, and you build that crescendo. So they, uh, they're not antithetical. 
and you know, I've been I've been blessed. You're you're right. This is my first play by play job at any level. But you know, I've been blessed to have a racetrack background. So a, I'm very comfortable with binoculars. But b, I'm able to take some of my racetrack vernacular that I've established over the years and transfer it to to Vikings games. And that makes my calls unique because I come into it with nobody else's style but mine and and using lines and stuff like that that I've developed through the years. In hindsight, I want to follow up on that because you talked about the uniqueness of your call and how you don't sound like anybody else in the NFL. You didn't go to college, never went to any broadcast school, so you never necessarily had any instruction you just kind of did it the way that sounded good in your head do you think that that lack of education almost ended up being a positive in your favor uh it's an interesting question and and i'm not sure i can properly answer it you know i i and and those who have been close to me all the way back to when i was 15 or 16 felt broadcasting would be in my future uh, the English language has always been very important to me, likewise for enunciation and articulation. Um, I've always followed sports very, very closely. And, um, you know, the, the I, I think just through the years of, of taking beats with jobs and, and traveling around, being broke and, you know, picking myself up and, uh, and just developing my own style, you know, whether people like it or not. I mean, it's mine and, and, and I don't copy anybody. And, you know, unique and, and working hard are very important in all these jobs that I have. So I think when you blend all those things together, you, you, you honestly don't need a four-year degree from Syracuse, Missouri, Northwestern, or broadcasting school du jour, because, you know, God, God has, has gifted people with certain things, and they either have it or they don't. And, you know, then you get in, then you got to hold it, because people are nipping at you and, 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 they're very cool jobs and people want those jobs. So, you know, you, you, you need to be very cognizant and conscious of making money for your employer and doing it the way you can stay true to yourself, but it also appeals to the masses. So people want to buy it. And when, when you can blend those and sustain, you know, then you can do it for a career. Is there a broadcaster or maybe more than one broadcaster that you listened to, you know, growing up and through your times as a horse racer that you just liked, that you felt like influenced your style at any point? Big time. Uh, when I, um, I went to high school and junior college, Pasadena City College in uh, the Los Angeles area. So I lived there from age 12, you know, I'd say pretty much to 22 or 23 before I went to San Francisco to call races. And, and during that 10 or 11 years, you know, I was the kid who would go to bed at night and listen to Vin Scully call Dodger games on 790K ABC. Or I would listen to Chick Hearn describe Lakers games on 570K LAC. And it resonates so well with me still, I can even remember the stations and the call, and the call letters. So, I mean, Vin is arguably the greatest play-by-play guy in the history of the craft, period. Um, Chick, Chick, I think is one of the greatest ever, but he was very flamboyant with the way he did it. And he had a unique way of describing things that pretty much resonated with me and stuck with me all throughout my life and, and my career with my radio show and the way I do play by play, you know, and, and as, as I got into the business and I grew, 
Kevin Harlan and I became very good friends. And Kevin was very, he was very kind early in my career, 2002, three, four, and five, where Kevin liked my sound and he liked my approach. So Kevin went out of his way to kind of shape me in that, hey, I got 10 things here for you. Seven are good, but we got to work on these three things. And, and to have a guy like that, who's unbelievably talented and good, and probably for my money, the best overall going right now on radio and TV, to have him be forthright with me about what he liked and, and ways I needed to improve, that, that was invaluable. So, you know, may, maybe I'm a limb on the Kevin Harlan tree. And if that's the case, you know, I'd be flattered if that were the case. Do you remember the specific uh, things that you needed to improve on, aspects of your call when you just started? Because, of course, if it's your first play-by-play job, there's going to be some hiccups. What did you have to work on, and how did you fix them? Well, I'm, I'm much more in control and refined now uh, than, than I used to be. I mean, back in 02, 03, and to a certain extent, 04, I mean, it was wild. You know, I, I would describe the play... I got really, really down when, when things weren't going the way of the Vikings. So much so that my boss as a K-Fan, you know, would encourage me to say, hey, you, you, you can't get as down as you're getting. We know you love the team and you care about you know, the job and the team, but you can't get that down because when you get that down, people stop listening. So, you know, through, through that and just years of doing it, 300 some odd games or whatever it is, being involved in some very big moments, Back in 03, we took a bad beat last game of the season against Arizona. Uh, 2009, the NFC title game at New Orleans, that was a learning experience. When Blair Walsh missed the uh, playoff kick against Seattle, that was a learning experience. The the Minneapolis miracle, uh, the team getting blown out at Philly last year. All those learning experiences go into the whole presentation. Because, you know, through the 16 years of calling these games, I've been involved in a lot of things with, with a lot of Hall of Fame type players. So, you know, I kind of feel like I know what to expect now. So much of climbing the ladder in the broadcasting industry is about timing. And I found it really interesting that you started off as the the voice of the very first Vikings online web stream broadcast. And I was just thinking that had that been five years earlier or five years later that your path kind of crossed through Minnesota either before online streams existed or after they were basically simulcast with the radio stream that your opportunity probably would have never came. Do you ever look at that and just, you know, wonder what would have happened had that timing not been perfect? No, I I haven't looked at it that way, but I mean, you, you bring up a good point because in, in 2000, when, the Vikings came to KFAN and they said CBS, you know, which, which carried the team at the time, it, it, it won't do a worldwide stream. We need you guys to do it. So we did it. I volunteered to do it. And that's where I started. And I've never really listened back to those games, but quite honestly, I don't think I was very good. And I had to call half the season off, off TV because we didn't go to all the road games. But during that time, I met the right people with the organization and they knew I genuinely cared. And they knew that I was willing to put in the time, no matter the circumstances I was facing, to do the very best I could for the organization. So that's part of it, too, is, is working with the people around you so that they know how much you care, how hard you work, 
and how much you're willing to sacrifice to make things work out for everybody involved, not just me, the radio station, the football team, and, and just everything involved. So there, there, you know, there are just so many more things that go into doing jobs like this than pushing the microphone and saying, boom, or pushing the microphone and saying, welcome to nine to noon. It, there are just so many different things that go into it from a preparatory standpoint, uh, dealing with advertisers, clients, um, and and just just keeping it in check the right way so that everybody wins. And once once you gain control of that balance and you gain equity, you know then people want to follow what you do. And it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of personal sacrifice. I mean, I've sacrificed I've sacrificed a lot personally over the years to hone the the three jobs that I still have. And, um, you know, on the other side of it, I'm very proud of what I've accomplished, but it, it has come with sacrifice. What are some of the sacrifices that have been the hardest to make for you? Well, there, there are times that you miss key, you miss key moments with your kids. Uh, my boy's 17, my girl's 15, and, you know, the Vikings play on Sundays. And if it's a road game, we leave on Saturdays. So there have been things that I've missed. We've had games on Thanksgiving. We've had games on Christmas Day. We've had games on Christmas Eve. You know, there there are just intimate family moments that you miss. And I'm very blessed and fortunate that my kids have understood every step of the way what goes into my work. And now on the other side of the sacrifice is the professional sacrifice where, you know, really outside of preparing for these jobs and doing these jobs and and honing the futures of my kids that there really isn't much outside of that. And, and there's not much time for life outside of that either. And that's the path I've chosen. And quite honestly, I enjoy it. What is your prep process and what does your spotting board look like since, you know, you don't usually people go up through small markets and they kind of perfect and refine their spotting board. How did you come up with your method of doing things? Well, back, um, I'd say in 2002-ish, 2003-ish, um, former NFL Today guy from CBS, Irv Cross, uh, who worked with Brent Musburger, Jane Kennedy, and Phyllis George. Um, Irv Cross was the athletic director, I believe, at Augsburg, um, a, a local college. And Irv Cross had, he had a spotting chart that, for, I, I don't know what he used it for, but he had one. And it's not a template. It, it's, uh, it's a piece of paper that it's rather large, and it requires handwritten work. So, you know, in my travels around the NFL, I, you know, I, I'm not a team employee. I, I don't, I don't work for the Vikings. I, you know, I get compensated by KFAN to call Vikings games. So therefore, you know, these team employees who work with these teams, they're at the facility for basically 40, 50 or 60 hours a week. And they got more time to put these things together in fancy fashion than I do. Um, but I think the benefit that I have is, you know, I, I have the, the, the two deeps for both offenses and defenses. And for instance, this morning, I typed in all the new Vikings guys and all the 49ers. And then now later this evening, I will start writing in stuff that I read in the weekly releases. So I, I've gotten the weekly releases from each team. I've read them. I've highlighted them. And now I will transfer it to the depth chart. So now I've seen it. At, at least two times. And then when it gets on the depth chart and I'm done by Saturday night, that's when I look at it and I highlight stuff. So I've now seen things three times. 
And given as good as my memory's gotten over the years, um, I, I retain what I need to retain. And that's generally what comes out in the calls. Did your memory become so good just through osmosis, or did you do any particular exercises to improve it, or is it just a natural gift? No, it's a um, it, it's it's something that has transpired over the years by doing memory based jobs, more so the play by play job with the football team and racetrack announcing. Two things that uh, that have become quirky with me because of my jobs is one I've developed um, I you know what some would call a photographic memory simply by seeing things as much as I do and then memorizing them in very quick fashion. Secondly, I'm 52 years of age and I don't need to use as they call cheaters because of all the races I've called through binoculars and football games. When you go from binoculars to the small font on either the the rosters for football teams or the daily racing program, I put my eyes through calisthenics basically for a quarter century. So it's trained my eyes and strengthened my eyes to really 2015. So, you know, I'm very blessed to, to have good vision and, um, and also a good memory. And I think those two things are vital for these jobs. You've mentioned your um, acumen when it comes to using binoculars in a broadcast. And that's something that I use usually after plays to identify tacklers, but I have a difficult time following the ball with them. What are maybe some tips or tricks to following quick action with binoculars? Well, you, you, you just got to get comfortable with it. I mean, again, with all the races I've called and the football games, I'm just, I'm more comfortable using binoculars than the naked eye. Um, so therefore I I've gotten to the point where I can track passes with my binoculars. Um, I focus on the kick returner with my binoculars and I follow him on kick returns. Well, I don't necessarily do it on punts because uh, punts can drive a returner back and they bounce and stuff like that. Um, but I, I, I don't know if I can really share what the tricks are. You just got to be confident in doing it. Now, from a football calling standpoint, when you're using the binoculars, depending on how good your vision is, you're able to better see if things are hip high, if they're thigh high, shoulder high. Um, and, and you, you just get a better grasp of the numbers when you have players and mass around, say, a ball carrier. So I'm better able to quickly identify who's making the tackle, who's pulling on a screen, who's getting out to the flat left or right and stuff like that. One of your jobs, as you've mentioned, is doing the, the talk show on KFAN as well as being the voice of the Minnesota Vikings, and those uh, generally are very different. In play-by-play, you're describing the action. Uh, you, it's not opinion-based, so to speak, even though you are able to get some opinions in. But with a talk show, you have to be very opinionated about the local teams. Is it ever difficult to draw the line on where you're going to be critical, for say, about the Minnesota Vikings uh, on your show to protect your job with the Vikings? Um, well, A, I don't think you have to be critical to win in the radio business. I mean, there there is more than one way to skin a cat. And, you know, with, with the shows at KFAN, from the power trip through mine, Dan Cole, the common man, and Dan Barrero, the, the reason the fan is, is arguably overall men 25 to 54, the most successful radio station in this market, is because all of our shows are different. So 
we have shows with big opinions and, and I'm not necessarily that show. Now, from a Viking standpoint, if it's no good, it's no good. You know, I mean, if they get blown out, they get blown out. We're not going to come out of the NFC title game, hit the airwaves at 9 a.m. And, and say, you know, boy, that, that, that sure was unlucky. You, you just don't do it. You don't do it that way. Um, but, you know, there, there are ways to tell it like it is without disrespecting the product. And, and I, you know, I've run into situations over the years where I've had to chat with the vice presidents, the general manager, coaches, stuff like that to kind of explain what I meant. But it all goes back to what we, what we talked about a few minutes ago, where, you know, people with, with these entities on both sides, they know where my heart is and they, they know who I am and they know I'm not there to embarrass people. And I'm also, you know, not there to just be a complete company shill. So running that balance is key. And I've gotten quite good at it, in my opinion, over the years. And I've never run into a situation where I felt my job was in jeopardy. And quite honestly, I, I don't anticipate that ever happening. You know, you've mentioned a couple times that when you, before you got your break with the Vikings, you were traveling around the country and calling horse races, and it was tough financially. Was there ever a point where you considered hanging it up and trying anything else, or were you always singularly motivated to make it in that business and the making noises with your mouth business? I guess we'll just say announcing. Well, I didn't. I didn't really. I didn't financially. I didn't really turn the corner till my mid thirties. I mean, there. You know, there. There were a lot of lumps along the way, man. I mean. You know, I was in the newspaper business for five years, and, and then I got fired uh, simply because I just wasn't into the job. I was more into working at the racetrack. And uh, then I became a racetrack announcer, then it went to KFAN, then it went to Vikings play-by-play. Um, so there was never a time that I wanted to quit. Um, now, my parents, you know, my late mom and, um, and my stepfather, in, in no way were they wealthy. But they were dead set on making sure I had every opportunity to chase my dream and to live my dream. So they financially helped me a lot for probably seven years, maybe eight years. And that's why, you know, when, when, when I chat with young broadcasters who, who talk to me about routes to getting into the business, when you get in, what do you do? How do you outwork people? How do, how do you, you know, become unique or stay unique while being yourself? What, one of the real honest things that I tell people is use every advantage with, within the morality of life use every advantage you have. If you have parents who have cash and they're willing to help you take that cash, don't, don't be so prideful that you're like, you know what, damn it. I'm going to live broke every day. I'm going to only eat five days a week. Um, I'm going to ride a bike to and from work. If you have people who are willing to help you take that help because these jobs, the, the lines are long, ma'am. And these jobs are very, very, very hard to find. And you got, you have to, you have to ride every advantage you have to get these jobs. And then when you get them, you got to outwork everybody to hold them. So, you know, I never, I never thought about quitting or giving up, uh, but without my parents financially helping me for years, I, I absolutely would not be in the spot I'm in now. So when you were traveling the country calling races, I'm sure that being the voice of the Vikings was not your end goal. That's something that kind of came out of nowhere and was a great alternative to what you were trying to do. What was your dream job before you became the Vikings voice? 
Um, you know, I, I've never really had a dream job. Now, you know, I started at Cape Ann in 98, and in 99 and 2000, I, I would go to Timberwolves games and sit in the hockey press box at Top Target Center, and I would call Timberwolves games into a tape recorder. And, you know, I, at one point, wanted to do the NBA. And I'm not saying that I never want to do the NBA. I think it'd be cool to do one day, and I, I like the NBA a lot. But I, you know, I just followed the NBA in basketball, and I played it. I so closely for so many years, I thought I, if I were to do play by play at a high level, it would be professional basketball. Uh, when the Viking situation emerged, you know, I've just learned so much more about football over the years than, than I ever thought I would learn by people from people like Pete Bursage, Ben Lieber, Joe Sensor, Greg Coleman, Irv Cross, coaches, Leslie Frazier, Brad Childress, Mike Tice, Mike Zimmer. And, and Rick Spielman, the general manager, I'm not afraid to ask a question about it, it may seem stupid, but I may not know the answer. In fact, I had Ben Lieber, former Vikings linebacker on my radio show today. And between our two segments, I had him break down for me what his view was of the run pass option, because quite honestly, it confuses me. And I think it's something the Vikings are going to utilize in 2018. So I want to get a grasp on it. And in, in living my life in knowing, biblically speaking, pride goes before the fall, I'm never afraid to ask a question if I don't know the answer. And I don't care if people think it's stupid. If I don't know it, I want to know the answer. And, and that plays into it. So when I was researching this podcast, I listened to another one that you were on with Sean Aronson, the voice behind the voice, and he got you to say, what you would say if the Vikings ever won the Super Bowl. And I thought that interesting because you don't seem like the type uh, kind of with your um, high-energy emotional broadcast to plan things out ahead of time. And you were going to say something about Vikings in Valhalla. How do you right. balance pre-planning and being spontaneous? Well, I, I never come up with one-liners like the, the Minneapolis miracle. That just happened. You know, and, and, and people liked it a lot locally and nationally because of the, spo the spontaneous nature uh, in which it, 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 it emerged. Um, but, like, I didn't write it down and have it in front of me. And I'm doing all these national interviews with Adam Schefter and, you know, all these heavy hitters. And they're like, come on, you had to have had that written down. I don't, I don't write stuff like that down. What I write down, and I'll probably start working on it tomorrow, is on separate cards, I will write down Kirk Cousins seventh year Michigan state. And then I'll have like four bullet points, Jimmy Garoppolo, whatever, Eastern Illinois, three bullet points. And I will rattle that off when they first come onto the field. So I prepare stuff like that for certain situations, but the, the farther along in my career I've gotten, I put a lot of stuff on my depth chart and I might use 20% because, you know, the game starts to speak for itself. And, you know, like this rookie receiver for the San Francisco 49ers, Dante Pettis, or maybe, their veteran receiver, Marquise Goodwin. Marquise has a very interesting background as a track star. Okay, well, after I get that out one time, I, I'm not going to bore the audience in the third quarter of a tightly contested game going over the four-by-four four relay that Marquise may have won nine years ago. So, you know, I just I, I focus more on the game. I focus more on the Vikings. And I leave a lot of stuff on my depth chart that I prepare for. But again, back to the memory game, what stuff that I put down that is supposed to get in the game, it gets in the game. I make sure it gets in the game. I, I find it interesting 
what you just said that there's certain things that you are going to get into a game that you find instead of maybe just letting it come when the action dictates it. How do you decide what's going to be in the game broadcast and what you're going to just put in when the moment's right? Well, it's all going to take place early. I mean, the the stuff on the depth chart in describing Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, Dalvin Cook, Latavius Murray, Matt Breida, Alfred Morris, Marquise Goodwin, Dante Pettis, Garrett Selleck, George Kittle, Kyle Rudolph, Tyler Conklin, that's all going to come early in the game. When, when Tyler Conklin makes his first National Football League regular season catch, that's exactly what I'm going to say. You know, but I'm going to say it obviously with more intensity. Uh, but I'm not going to go through all the catches, touchdowns, and everything he did in college because we're, we're now at a different level and the ramifications are different. Um, you know, the kickers, the quarterbacks and the kickers and, and, and players that are sitting on records, those have to get in. So, you know, like, like Harrison Smith, when, when he set the Vikings record for interception touchdowns, I probably had that on my depth chart for at least half a season. And I put it there every single week, just waiting for it. And it never happened. And then when it happened, boom, there it was. And I got it in. So a lot of the informational stuff I get in early in the game. And once we get midway through the second quarter on, uh, now you just call the game. Being so deeply involved in horse racing, where gambling is at the heart of why people like horse racing. They like to go there. It's interesting to gamble on horses. I just pick the one with the funniest name and the middle odds. I'm certainly no handicapper. But with handicapping being such a part of that business and gambling, whether you want to admit it or not, like the NFL seems like they don't want to, being a huge part of football, do you you ever, maybe, are you influenced by horse racing and working gambling stuff into your broadcasts ever? No, not at all. No, and, you know, like, for instance, in horse races, um, where I, I bet on the races at Canterbury, not all of them, but I bet on some races. And, you know, the the one prideful thing, at least I have in my race calls, is nobody will ever be able to tell in any of the calls the horse on which I just won or on whom I just lost. Because, it, A, it's not their business, but, B, it, uh, they, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going I'm, I'm to change a race call because of, of what I did. Now, I don't bet on sports, and, I, and, and I'm not interested in that, but I think it would be dramatic narrow casting to, to put any type of point spread or over-under reference in a game call. Now, Al Michaels, over the years, and I think Brent Musburger used to do it too, they have quirky ways of mentioning certain plays that swayed, um, that, that swayed the point spread or, or – you know, say a team is losing by five and then the team scores a touchdown, they go up by one, then that changed the point spread. You know, that that's part of, of how those guys have done it all of their careers. It's I have no interest in that. One of the things they like to ask everyone who comes on here, what is your broadcast horror story, whether in racing or football or anything else, where everything just goes wrong in a way that drives you crazy at the time, but you look back at and laugh now? Well, I mean, when, when you call 30,000 races, there are going to be a couple of nose bobs that you don't get right. Uh, that bugs me right after I do it, because really there's no reason to guess when I can just scream photo finish. 
uh, in football in 2009, we were at St. Louis and I have no idea what was on my mind because Keith Farwell never played defense. Um, but there was a, uh, there was a fumble recovery and a Viking was running into the end zone. And I said, it was Heath Farwell when it was Jared Allen. And, and I mean, I can still remember it vividly today, even which way the player was running the fact we were wearing white uniforms. I have no idea why I did it. It was embarrassing. Uh, but that probably would be top of the charge for uh, my game calls. Does having the Vikings be a team that's had so many close calls, so many really good teams that were so close to doing amazing things, does that ever get frustrating to you as a broadcaster? Um, it, it's an interesting question because, you know, when, when you have like the New Orleans game and we win it the way we did, and then to lose the way the team did the next week. Yeah, that, that's frustrating. I, I'm not, I'm not going to say it makes me mad or frustrates me. I think it hurts more than anything um, be, because I put a lot of time into it. Certainly not as much as coaches, players, personnel, people are those who are more intimately involved with it. But emotionally speaking, I work with the team and I work with the public. So therefore I get hit from all angles. And, you know, when they lose the 09 NFC title game the way they did, that, that, that is something professionally, honestly, that will sting me forever. You know, when Blair Walsh missed that kick against Seattle in, in the wild card game at TCF Bank Stadium, that, I, that was shocked. I, I just couldn't believe an accomplished kicker like that would miss a kick that short at that stage of the game. You know, so I think that that was, that, that was more on the anger slash frustration side. Um, I, you know, doing this as long as I have now and having lived here for more than 20 years now, um, I, I just, you know, I'd like to see this fan base get a Super Bowl title more so for those who have, have been on the sweat with this team for five decades plus. I mean, I, I started loving the team and following the team in 98. There are those who have, have been part of this thing for 58 years and, you know, they, they've been through markedly more than me. So, I find myself thinking about the fans more so than I do myself. Who are your favorite broadcasters to listen to now, both in the region and nationally? Um, I uh, Kevin Harlan, uh, for my money, is the very best going. Um, I love listening to him call football games on Westwood One, on, on CBS. I love listening to him call the NBA. Um, I like Wayne Larrabee from the Green Bay Packers a lot. I think he's the best team announcer in the NFL. Um, I like, um, I think Anthony LaPanta does a fantastic job with wild games. I really like listening to him and, um, you know, that I, I like listening to a lot of them. For instance, I subscribe to the major league baseball extra innings package pretty much just to listen to the play by play guys like Dave Sims calls Seattle Mariners games. I, I really enjoy the way he does it. So, you know, I like to listen to the styles and the nuances because I think I know what goes into what they're doing. So therefore, I kind of like to hear them weave things together the way they do it and, and kind of compare it to the way I do it. Walk us through your preparation process starting uh, after a Vikings game leading up to the next one. How much are you doing and kind of what are the steps along the way? Well, it, it's an everyday affair. I mean, I do the, the K-Fan show weekdays 9 to noon. And every single one of those shows will have a Vikings feel to them pretty much through the end of the season. Now, when the wild started, it will change a little bit, but so therefore I'm, I'm on the talkers every single day. 
Monday, I go to Mike Zimmer's press conference, generally chat with him a little bit about how he thought the game went. Tuesday, I do Vikings Entertainment Network work and um, I work with Mike Zimmer that day. So I get a chance to chat with him and coaches and other people that day. Wednesday, I'm out there doing TV work. So I'm chatting with people then. Um, and, and, you know, I, I interview an assistant coach so I can kind of get their thoughts on what happened and what's next. Um, I'm fortunate in that the Vikings let me watch practice. So therefore Wednesday and Thursday, I kind of get a feel for what's coming up by watching practice. Uh, Friday, I do a live radio show at Buffalo Wild Wings every Friday called the Friday Football Feast. So therefore I can kind of feel what the fans are feeling into the game. Uh, the, the preparing the depth chart begins by getting the weekly releases from the Vikings on Tuesday, reading it Tuesday night, highlighting it Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, preparing the depth chart on Thursday, transferring it to the depth chart Thursday night, Friday afternoon, Friday night, Saturday morning, memorizing it Saturday afternoon or night. Then we have the games on Sundays. What do you listen for at this stage in your own work to try to continue to get better? Um, I never listen back to my games. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty keen in knowing while I'm doing it, whether I like something or don't like something. I, I have wonderful people who work around me. Uh, the uh, producer of my radio show, Eric Nordquist, he's my spotter for home games. Uh, Mike Wabshaw from Vikings.com. He's my statistician for road games and the assistant stats guy for home games. Uh, the executive producer, Chad Abbott, along with um, one of our big bosses at KFAN, Greg Sweatberg. Uh, we're all very comfortable chatting about things we like and things we don't like. You know, so if there are ways I phrase things or, or build things up that, that, you know, I have people around me who are comfortable coming up to me saying, hey, what did you mean here? Why did you do it this way? Don't you think it should be done this way? And I never take it personally. I may not agree with it and I may not change it, but I never take it personally. So I'm very blessed to have a wonderful cast of people around me who genuinely care not only about me, but about the broadcast. And so therefore, we, we're, we're talking about it every single day, specifically Wabi and I. You know, we, we talk about the team multiple times a day, every day. And it keeps me very sharp for things that are transpiring with position changes, injuries, the way the game flow goes and stuff like that. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, what would the best way to do so be? Oh, people can email me anytime at PA at uh, KFAN.com, PA at KFAN.com. Yeah, I, I'm always there to uh, respond to emails and um, and hopefully point people in the right direction. All right, once again, we are chatting with Paul Allen. He is the voice of the Minnesota Vikings, the voice of horse racing at Canterbury Park, and he hosts a show on the number one station in the Twin Cities market, KFAN and Paul, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Hey, man. Uh, it was a pleasure meeting you. Fantastic line of questioning. I really, really enjoyed it. And if you ever need anything, you have my number. Thanks for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of com. Also, please follow me on the social media outlet of your choice. And remember iTunes reviews, emails, or any other kind of honest feedback is greatly appreciated and helps to make the show better. Finally, please reach out to the guests of the show and just thank them for coming on and let them know that you appreciate them sharing their stories on this podcast. 
As always, I'm Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.